best advice for a white belt is take a recipe yeah. maybe that hasn't been done because like the minute I'm in line with what everybody else is doing, I'm wrong. Is I'm gonna throw you in a single leg and you're gonna fight having a single leg. Make them feel like they are succeeding and also like walk out of there not feeling like I failed them that day, which is something that keeps me up at night sometimes. Like you wanna be a coach and you suck as a person, you're always talking smack, like everybody hates you, like you're always get hurting people, like you're never gonna coach, at least not in my gym. In front of class and you're like, this is how we're gonna do an arm bar and then everyone's like, he didn't even do an arm bar. That was an omoplata. Like, <laughs> yeah, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like... Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Elvis Tight Podcast, or The Virtuous Coach, wherever you're listening. Yeah, wherever you're coming at it from, you know what I mean? <laughs> Brother, it's been, like, three and a half years. Is that you the were last like, time we podcasted? Yeah, I think you were, like, episode three of the podcast. Dude, I'm like an OG on your podcast. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot has changed yeah, since, for sure. since then. So I got to say, can I say something before we get started too? Uh, I got to say, like, I'm super proud of you. Like, I remember when you started this thing, like at the time, like I was really into podcasting. I was like, my podcast was growing like crazy. It was. I was just kind of in like the, this, this season of life where like I wanted to push super hard on like online stuff. And um, when you were starting yours, like I always admired like how much effort you put into the show. So you guys listening to the show, like we were just talking about it last night after we got done training, like how much time and effort you put into this podcast. And as a, as an outside person sitting on the outside, and I wanted to save this for the show today <laughs> as an outside person sitting, you know, like seeing this from afar, it's been really cool to like watch not only your growth as a person and as a father and as a husband, all those types of things, but also as like seeing you step into this, like, especially now the podcast is all yours, just to see your growth inside of that. And your knowledge is like incredible. I even, it like probably like, is like, you know, 10 times more than I know about podcasting stuff now. It's incredible to watch. And like, it's been really cool to see you grow this thing, man. So uh, I even appreciate being back on the show again. I know I was an OG and it was probably cool to have me back on there <laughs> back then, but now I'm just a, you know, a guy running a business. So yeah, like I said, man, very cool, very proud of you. It's been cool to watch. No, I appreciate that, man. And, and you definitely, um, you know, cause you had started podcasting before I did, mm -hmm. and you know the the virtuous or what was it back in the day? It was uh, the Create Yourself podcast. Yeah, the Create Yourself podcast. You know, you were doing twice a week, and I remember you were like, "I gotta, I'm putting out two episodes a week," and that's I was like, "I was like, bro, that's I'm doing once yeah. every two weeks at that time," and I was like, "Yo, I applaud you for yeah. for the effort that you were putting in," and you know, it inspired me to keep going. And then you know, now the podcast is at the point like after John left. Um, it's at the point now where I feel like it's so much bigger than me. You know what I mean? So it's like there's so many people that listen to it and look for value from the guest I bring on mm -hmm. or what I have to say. And in my journey alone, it's kind of hard to, to stop now. It's like so much more than just mm -hmm. me chit-chatting with my yeah. friend. I mean, it's still pretty much the same thing, sure. but now I have a little bit more of a following. So it's, it's harder it's, to turn that thing off. It's harder to turn the thing off. And, you know, um, one of my goals this year was to – try to be like crowdfunded as much as possible through oh, cool. my audience and not to take on sponsorships uh just simply because like when it when it comes to like sponsors and people putting money towards me to promote something then there's the obligation of I have to do it mm -hmm. and then it gets uh it's hard because it's like I don't really have anything to say this week but I need to find something because yeah. I have re I have it's you know forced. financial obligations to put an episode out this mm -hmm. week so it's a it's been a journey um but it's it's crazy to think it's coming up on five years now yeah that's cool it's like literally like as my show was growing i just got to a point where i was like i, I literally can't i don't yeah. have the time i like uh and and i probably you're, you're much more i feel like efficient with the way that you do things with like your video and stuff like that i 
I never really adopted that. I've always kind of just been the guy that's like, I'm going to, I'm going to force it forward basically. And I think that hurt me in the long run to where like, even now just getting one episode out a week is very, very challenging, but I do enjoy a podcast. So it's like, and I got this cool podcast recording stuff that I can't just like (laughs) not use, you know, but, um, so like I said, I, I, I love watching what you're doing with it, man. I appreciate it, it actually revoted after a conversation we had, it re-motivated me to launch mine again and to, um, at, at a very, at the bare minimum, get one episode out a week. I used to like record them on my phones and get them out really fast yeah. and spend hours and just, that time just isn't there anymore. But, um, yeah, man, very cool, dude. I'm, I'm no, I appreciate it's been cool that. to watch it. I appreciate that. And today what I want to talk about is kind of like we just, uh, mentioned like the evolution of the podcast. Well, mm-hmm. let's talk about like the evolution of your coaching, my coaching, just mm-hmm. coaching in general, yeah. because, you know, I started coaching, when did I move here? 2014. So probably 2015 is when I started coaching on the CrossFit side and like sure. weightlifting and whatnot. And to me, coaching is like, it's 100% a skill. Right. And anyone, you know, there's a lot of people that listen to the show that are blue belts and whatnot. And once you get to blue belt, you're pretty much you can become a coach. Mm -hmm. You know, you can you can start teaching jujitsu, at least the bare bare minimum fundamentals and whatnot. Like I got to do the fundamentals for a little bit before I had to switch my schedule and seeing just like how much I've changed from being a CrossFit coach in that short stint as a jujitsu coach is like very intriguing to me to see just my evolution and then watching you obviously over the years, how big you've built this mm-hmm. as a business and everything like that. And we can get into that too. And just how you, how you've like grown as a coach is like really inspiring also. Cause mm-hmm. obviously you're like one of my mentors, like Appreciate one of my that. best friends and whatnot. And I look up to you quite a bit. So I just wanted to like hear how things have changed. And also, you know, you've been going through a lot with like the ecological dynamics, like Henner Gracie, oh like you're gosh. just trying to go back and forth and just find your voice. Yeah. So let's start off. Like when you first started coaching, you know, you started coaching CrossFit, uh, or MMA, like what was it like? Who are you emulating? Who did you find draw inspiration from in order to to hopefully have someone learn from what you were saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when I initially started coaching, I wanted to like I wanted to do something different from things that I had always. It's just like now with like some of the leadership stuff that I'm really diving into. It's like I wanted to be a coach that I never had. Um, <clears throat> so I think initially there was. It was like I had like an ongoing identity crisis for the first few years because there was nobody, there was nobody at the time in the CrossFit space that I had come in contact with that like, because even from the very beginning, I, I knew CrossFit was my thing. It was the thing that I loved the most. But at the same time, I, I felt like just being a, a CrossFit coach, like I just, it's just what I do. I just teach that methodology. You know, it's, I don't go any deeper than that. Like I don't get any, get into any of the mindset stuff or any of the under, you know, behind closed door stuff. Like I don't get into, into any of that. Like I've always like struggled with leaving that alone because like real change didn't come until like I did dive into the, mm-hmm. some of that stuff with people. So I think for me, like it was this ongoing identity crisis for the first few years. Cause I was trying to find out find my voice, find my, the way that I want to do things. And it, and it took me a good period of time to really understand like, like who I was, like, am I the technique guy? Like, am I the, am I the programming guy? Am I the, <clears throat> am I the, the deep rooted mindset guy? And I think for me, like I've really landed on like as of late, like I want to be the experienced guy because I've kind of come to this place where it's like, it doesn't matter. You know, there's that saying of like, people don't care. Uh, how much you know this one, I know that you care, know that you care. I forget who originally said that, but uh, I always kind of go back to that. It's like, at the end of the day, I want people to, 
I want to give them as much as I possibly can, not bore them, but it has to be an experience that they keep coming back to. And I think early on, I was kind of doing that without doing it on purpose. And now I very much so am very purposeful in my approach to making sure that this is an enjoyable experience. I I tell my my coaches over there, like, dude, this needs to be a a show. This is a freaking concert, dude. Like they're coming in here, they're looking to- Best hour of their day, bro. For sure. But, but, But more than that, like, like- Best hour of their week. Like, I want them to think every time they come in, they're like, man, that was incredible. Like, what a great time. And I, and I think about it in jiu-jitsu now. It's like, um, I, I have, and this is just me being very transparent with, with your audience and with you, like, I have a daily imposter syndrome with jiu-jitsu because there are people in our gym right now that I would, I would argue are probably more knowledgeable than me. So there's always this thing of like, man, am I saying something wrong? <clears throat> is there something technically that I'm off with here? But at the end of the day, like, if, if I just can kind of revert back to, like, I studied, I'm prepared, I have dived as deep as I possibly could into this thing, <clears throat> I'm not putting it together when I get here, um, and I'm trying to make sure that everybody here gets better at jiu-jitsu today, um, if I can just kind of revert back to that and remember that, like, sure, if I forget a grip position or to turn my hips a certain way, like... I came from a lens of I was as prepared as I possibly could and I gave my absolute best on the floor that day, then it doesn't matter if somebody in the room is critiquing how I'm showing something because like I'm not coming from the intention of like this unprepared, uh, like not caring person. I'm coming through this lens of like, I want this to be the best freaking class that I can give this person in this 60 minute time block. And if I fall short, I know that I've given it my all. And and I know for a fact based off of all the other coaches, probably people you've been around in the past, like that is more than what a lot of people, at least in the, in the, in the, the grappling industry can say. Yeah. That's one thing I wanted to talk about too, because I definitely have noticed like when Sean's for people at home that don't know Sean, our instructor, he has wrestling season. He takes a complete Mm -hmm. step away. I feel like it happens. There's been so many times that out out inadvertently and advertently, I guess you could say that this has happened, but uh, I did notice like once Sean came and he took his first like step away for wrestling season, bro, you were like, if I, to be honest with you, I was like, Cody has no voice right now. He is like struggling to find out how the hell to do this. Mm -hmm. And it like last, Last night's class, I was I was thinking on my way home. I was like, that was a good class. Like that was solid. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like there was no points where I felt like you were you're like second guessing yourself. Even when you you caught on some to something, like I even mm-hmm. asked a question. You're like, that's a good point. Like you I think know, I had like, to do it again to see yeah. what I did. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I think that just comes with experience because I know when I first started coaching the fundamentals, I was like, bro, like Keegan will show up, Jack will show up. Oh you know? And I'm like. I'm like, these guys, guys are crushing know, they me. They know stuff. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I would like to think, like, um, just because of, like, jiu-jitsu is pretty much my life outside of, you know, my family and work mm-hmm. because of the podcast and jiu-jitsu sure. and making content, that I still like to know that I know, you know, a good amount of stuff. But then there's obviously levels to everything. Yeah. So when it came to coaching uh, the fundamentals, I was like, I have to be 100% ready to the, like, to your point, Gotta to be the prepared. best of my ability, bro, right? Because... Uh, failing to prepare it is preparing preparing to fail, right? So I was like, not knowing something doesn't doesn't make me scared, right? It's okay right. to not know something. Like I tell my kids all the you time, don't know like, what you, don't know. you don't know what you don't know. It's okay. And if someone says like, hey, it's supposed to be this way, you have to be humble enough to accept that and be like, okay, that thank you for that, sure. you know. Um, but not being prepared scares me. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like stepping on the mat and be like, what the hell am I supposed to teach? You, today? you know what I think is like really set up a lot of. Like, and I can only, guys, I can only speak from what I've experienced in, in, in like, the the arena of jujitsu is, like, I think there's always kind of been this thing to where, like, 
jujitsu instructors act as if like there is a sing- singular way of doing something yeah, or, agreed. or like, you know, that's wrong. And I'm like, well, I've done it this way hundreds of times to people. So is it wrong or is it just different? You know? So like I've always, and, and now like I, even when I'm explaining stuff to people, I like, I say, guys, I really struggle with saying like, this is the way to do something. Um, it kind of goes back to like when you're doing content, like you never want to tell people what they should do. You want to tell people what you've done. Right. So I like, I really go through the lens of <clears throat> now I say things like, this is how I would typically approach XYZ situation. But, you know, with you being shorter, with you being taller, like these sort yep. of things can be, which is like why ecological dynamic stuff was like, or the ecological approach or the restraint sled approach, like that was so like um, attractive to me. It was just because like, man, like they're, they're speaking to my mind that I've always, because even sometimes if I've seen techniques, I've gone to seminars. I went to a, a Ribera Brothers seminar one time and like they showed some stuff and like everybody's soaking it up and like none of it worked for me. And like somebody would somebody listening to this, well, you probably weren't doing something wrong. And I'll tell you what, like I've always been pretty detail oriented down to as much as I can possibly <laughs> yeah. like absorb. And, you know, maybe I'm six foot five and the way that they place their hips and their feet just ain't going to work for me. So, yeah. um, so now when I really explain that is like the, the, the struggle of for years and years, black belts, you know, all the way from like Brazilian black belts, even some now, maybe some you've interviewed who think they're like, there's a certain way to do things. I'm just, I know in, in fitness, which I've coached in for 10 years. And now I've coached jujitsu consistently for about six years. Like there's, there tends to never be a singular, there is a more right than wrong way, which in my coaching, my instructing, I try to be more right than wrong. Um, but like there's never just a single way though. Yeah. And, and I think like we were maybe initially for me is like when, when Sean came, he was so good. He was better than any instructor I'd ever seen any instructor I'd ever, I'd ever spoken with or like interacted with. And like, I felt so fortunate to be able to learn from him and to be able to absorb things from him. And it identified this large gap in my instructing and in my, the way that I would deliver a session. And it, and at that time, initially, like I, I was like, dude, I got to level up or I'm gonna lose my people yeah. because he just, he cast this shadow that was so, so wide and so broad that it was like, if I don't, if I don't level up, cause truly in the past, like I would just kind of go off of things that I would see or things that I would remember. And like, um, I, I would, basically do technique of the day in class and didn't really think too much about like, well, so now like when I view growth in jujitsu, I think there's self-study, there's exploration, and then there's technique of the day from the gym, right? I think there's like this, this triad of how you grow. Like I was only doing technique of the day. So when I came in, I needed to start coaching. I was like, oh my gosh, like I got to like know a lot of stuff. Yeah. So I kind of went back to like, well, I just going to be a chapter ahead of everybody. Yeah. All right. And then, and then a lot of instructors will poo poo on instructionals and, and, you know, things that like BJJ fanatics has some of your guys, like, you know, Pressinger and some of his like membership stuff. And I'm like, man, like that's like sitting in at a seminar anytime you want to. Yeah. So I'm going to really dive into literally content. Like I'm, you know, we're going through arm bars right now. Like I was studying that for like the last six weeks. And like, then I'm going to be going in X guard. Like I'm already starting to study that even though I'm showing. So it's like, I'm already making sure that I am prepared and I've got as much of the variances of these things understood so that I can field a question or maybe I need to feel out and just see what happens. But it's always going to revert back to like, there's not one way to do anything. There's multiple ways to do anything. Here's how I believe is an, an effective way of doing X, Y, Z technique, move, whatever. Yeah. And I wanted to bring up something. That's why I brought this book is because <clears throat> it leads into, I'm reading uh, show your work. If you guys haven't read Great this book. at home Great by book. Austin, Cleon? Cleon. Cleon. And one thing he talks about is, and you just alluded to it right there, is everyone's an amateur. Even even professionals are somewhat amateurs, right? Just because you get paid to do something doesn't sure. mean like you're professional. And amateurs are open-minded, right? And something that they said uh, is amateurs might lack formal training, but they are 
uh, all lifelong learners, and they make a point to learn in the open so that others can learn from the failures and successes. If that's not jujitsu, <laughs> that's it. That's it. What is jujitsu? That, yeah, right. right. That, that, that is page sixteen of Show Your Work. Um, and when I read that, uh, I was like, bro. It's so true because I'm even open with my successes and failures. Like this, like I told you last night sure. I, on my last episode for 2023, I even opened up about my financial gains within the the podcast. And I think transparency is great and letting people know, like, hey, these are where you can do good, and this is where I've done bad. Because to your point, also jujitsu techniques, like it's no one size fits all. Mm. Like you have to try, you have to fail, you have to figure out what works for you. And that's one thing that, you know, like ecological dynamics, you know, Keegan and Jack don't like it. And I'm not a hundred percent sold on it either, but I do find as someone that only gets to train a very limited time sure. and I don't, I can't dedicate a whole lot of time to instructionals or anything like that. Cause I got kids running around or, you know, I can't sit there and like yeah. <laughs> focus completely. I find that, you know, doing an hour of jujitsu from start to finish is very beneficial for someone that has very limited time. You know what I mean? And that was something that we, we've been talking about quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm, I, I listened to, you know, Rob Gray, his podcast, I've read both his books and so, or listened to both his books. Yeah. And, uh, it's been, that's been very interesting to me. And I can see why, you know, some people are for and against it because, you know, it's like, like CrossFit, when CrossFit first came out on the scene, everyone was like, that's stupid. Why mm -hmm. would you do that? You know, why would you throw heavy barbell movements into a high intensity workout? And it's like, well, this is why. You but know, you know but, then, but then it swung one way, mm -hmm. right? So here, here's my problem with <clears throat> ecological dynamics and with even that, like, so to the CrossFit comment, you know, when CrossFit came into the industry, everybody said that's stupid. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's not going to work. Well, it totally works. But then it kind of went the other way to where, like, well, CrossFit's all you should be doing. I'm like, well, no, yeah, I, I don't yeah. know that should be true either. So that's my struggle with, like, ecological stuff is just the and and I'll kind of and I'll kind of tell your listeners like who like what we've been doing for our curriculum for any instructors that are kind of watching this but the the struggle with like full on ecological is like cuz if if I think of like for me well I've got a little bit more time to train I get a lot from like a technique but it can't be too much like, mm -hmm. you can't show me five techniques in a thing as, as a as almost a black belt like I We'll see. So crazy to hear. Which is nuts. It, I don't, sh you know, Sean told me, whispered my ear, a little sweet nothing. Little, little something, something. And I was like, I don't want it, bro. Hold on to it. I'm good. We're good. <laughs> that means I have to coach more. <laughs> yeah, bro. Um, but, but to that point is like they're the, the ecological guys are saying that's the only way you should do it. And then the technique drilling. So then the technique guys are like, all you need is bet really good technique. And then you got your drilling crowd where like just do things hundreds of thousands of times. And I'm like, well, I don't know that. From, from being in the coaching industry for this long, I don't know that any of those are the right way. Right. What if like, you know, and, and then somebody would argue, well, is there a right way per person? Fitness is completely individual. Is jujitsu learning completely individual? Probably, Absolutely. Probably, I, I right? I think so. So it's like, okay, with all of these different realms, like it, it, even to my class last night, right? Like there was live at the end, kind of ecological, maybe a little loose on some of my restraints in the, in the positional sparring time of the day. But like, you know, we did some technique in the beginning. It was a mm -hmm. lot of moving. It was a lot of doing, less instruction. Then I got into some instruction. And then I did some uh, positional, like ecologically, ecologically minded thought or, or minded drills at the very end. So it was like, okay, I'm trying to give the whole spectrum in all of my things now. I'm doing it in fundamentals too. So it's like, I'm not completely sold on one thing yeah. in fitness. 
like you want to hear my inappropriate analogy for how I explain fitness? By all means. Okay, so <laughs> I, I literally tell this to new clients. It's super funny because it makes them laugh, and then they're like, oh, man, this dude's kind of funny. So I say, um, <clears throat> if a bodybuilder, a crossfitter, an Olympic lifter, a power lifter, an endurance athlete, a gymnast, a bodyweight specialist, like all the things in the world got together, and there was this wild party, and they were drinking way too much beer, and they had a baby. That's what kind of what my gym is. And they laugh, but I'm like, but they get it. They're like, yeah. oh, wow, he's saying that they do everything. They're kind of, they're a, they're a hybrid of all these things. And I think for jujitsu, that's where, that's where I'm driving us right now. We will, I don't, in the past, you, you asked me earlier, like, what, where would I get inspirations from? I, you know, the cook versus chef analogy. I was very much like a cook. I would look around and just kind of see what everybody was doing. And I would like essentially copy the recipe. Whereas now... I still look around, I still shop, I'm still looking for inspiration, but it's because I'm trying to make my own recipe. I'm like, well, let me take a little bit of this, you know, a little bit of garlic and a little bit of onion powder and some, some paprika. and like, Let's put all this stuff together and let's make a new recipe yeah. maybe that hasn't been done because like the minute I'm in line with what everybody else is doing, like I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be like everybody else. So you ask me like if I'm looking around at what other people are doing, yeah, to a point. But I was trying to find my own, my, own, my own identity in that. And truly, when I stopped my podcast, one of the reasons, because I'm like everybody else. Yeah. I'm just doing interviews. I'm asking the same questions everybody else has. Like, it didn't feel, it didn't feel like, unique. And I think, um, to, to, to give you some more props again, like, I've drawn inspiration in how you, like, I, I go and I listen to your podcast. And, like, lately, I feel like you've been sharing a lot of, like, just your, like, your documenting. And Gary Vee always says, like, don't create, document, right? Yeah. Or, or don't. I think that's what he said. Yeah. Something to the tune of like, just show what you're doing. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I totally got into like, everything had to be like put up and, and propped up as this. It was, it was this, this thing versus like just sharing what you do. Yeah. Right. So like, I think that's where, I think that's the, um, that's the chefing and podcasting the same way that mixing things together in jujitsu would be the same thing. It's like, I'm just mixing it, trying to make my own recipe and I want to do something different. I don't want to look like everybody else. I want yeah. you to come here and be like, you guys charge ha- how much? Well, this much. Well, like, why do you charge more than everybody else? Because I'm better than everybody else. Boom. Gotcha. I try harder than everybody else, yeah. right? Like, we are more prepared than everybody else. You're never going to get an instructor who just walks in here that, like, you know, thought about what he was going to do two minutes before. It's like, no, nah, dude, we're, I'm thinking about what we're doing four weeks from now. Yeah. Keegan's already trying what he's going to be showing two weeks from now. You know, like, we're already, we're working, we're mapping, and we've got this hive mind thing going right now to where it's like, well, four, five jujitsu instructors coming together on one curriculum is better than one doing it by himself. So that's kind of where I'm at to answer that, to kind of go into that a little bit. No, and I, and looking back, you know, when you started talking about the Henner Gracie and how they they run their their academies and whatnot, and and uh, at first I was like, I was like, I don't know, man, because I don't feel like I, it was hard. It was hard for me to to get behind it at first because I was like, I don't know, man. I just feel like you know, there's like the stigma that comes with like Gracie Jiu Jitsu nowadays because they're you know very traditional in the way that they are with their 600 students and very successful. Gyms. I was about to say <laughs> right, and I was about to say it's like the same thing with Gracie Baja. I, I interviewed uh, Mike Bates over in the UK who rode across the Atlantic Ocean by himself, right? And uh, he's a Gracie Baja affiliate, and he's like, he's like, I love Gracie Baja. He's like, I have 350 students. He's like, there was no way I was going to get this done by myself. He's mm-hmm. like, they have the tools and the system put in place to where anyone can be successful underneath them. And so as a business owner, I can completely see why, you know, going 100% eco is might not be beneficial. Right. Uh, and if you guys want to disagree with us, by all means, let us know down in the comments below. But how it might not be beneficial to your academy, right? Because, I mean, where 
granted, once again, Eco's still relatively new, and this is me not bashing on them, but it's hard to find a super popular, you know, hundreds. And if there is out there, let, let us know well, too. Well, success leaves clues. Yeah. Right? Like how right. many, like most of the biggest gyms in the world have like a soft landing for new faces. Yeah. Right? Like, and if we're going to be, like I'm, I'm a big faith guy, right? Like you know this about me now for the past few years, but like, as a as a Christian man, like I'm an ambassador for Jesus, right? Like if you look at me and I'm this cowardly, weak, you know, uh, feminine man, and I'm telling you how like about the 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 gospel that is, you know, Christ, and you're and you're looking at me like I want nothing of what you got, yeah. right? Like, um, like am I being the proper ambassador for for that? The same way with jujitsu is like. What's the goal of jiu-jitsu? A lot like Christianity. We want to spread it. We want to get more, pre- more people involved. We want, to, we want to make it more accessible to people. But here we are, and, and I grouped myself into this because I was that too. Like here we are a few years ago, like getting almost elitist. Yeah. To where it's like. Well, CrossFit not, was the same way. Totally. It, which CrossFit is why I was, changed. Which yep. is why I changed, right? So and it's I think like, why a lot of people have changed from the. For sure. Because so, I think CrossFit is behind change. that right yeah. now. Like they're like, well, it's totally elitist. Yeah. And because I, I think CrossFit, people would see the name CrossFit and they would get intimidated by it because of all the videos on social media, the CrossFit like games. Jiu-Jitsu's oh, 100%. Like yeah. And I, I think it's better than it, it My name was. I doesn't even say Jiu-Jitsu anymore. That, right. And that, we'll get to that too. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's because the same thing why it's virtuous fitness now, right? It's because um, it's more of a welcoming thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Same with like, instead of saying virtuous BJJ, it's kind of grouping you into... Mm-hmm something that you know good or bad you're now you're tied to it yeah kind of like crossfit when greg greg had that all that drama people sure. were like dropping the crossfit don't want to be associated with mm-hmm. this you know what i mean and so that was interesting too and but it's it's i don't know it's it's kind of it's cool to see how much has changed in such a short time uh that we've been over here, right? Because when we first started, it was it was Gracie online. You know, we we'd have it up on the TV that was yeah. over there, the little mat, mm-hmm. and we'd be like, okay, what are we doing today? Yeah. And then you'd come in and we teach it. And I thought that was great, yeah. still, because I mean, everyone was starting off brand new, so learning the it's fundamentals. Like it was what we needed at that time. Oh, one hundred percent, right? But and like you mentioned earlier, I don't think there is a one size fit all, one technique to coaching everything. Um, and I may come off like I'm 100%, I want to do 100% ecological. No, I just want to implement it more because I just see so much value in it mm-hmm. from my point of view. Sure. But I think I think as long as we are doing jujitsu, like, that's good. Yeah. Like, as long as, you know, to me, where, when what does everyone say you learn the most is sparring, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the live action of jujitsu with real resistance. I think that's like... For advanced, I don't know necessarily for fundamentals if that's great. I think it has to be eased into it, maybe short rounds or. I can see like certain times where like the the like the eco sparring stuff matters. Yeah. Um, I mean to use our gym as an example, like when we did eco, our fundamentals program fell apart. Yeah. Right, and it wasn't something you did. It wasn't something that, like that anybody else who coached her did. It was like like kind of me as the leadership. Like I I set us up there. Like hey, this is what I want to do, and it's like then that program kind of died, and now since we've kind of revamp the fundamentals a little bit of a softer landing um people are are like coming in here not getting scared off day one like people are sticking a little bit so it's like it was kind of this cool change which came from listening to that henner podcast um and and to your point about like how we've always kind of changed and evolved over the years like if if there's anything you can trust about me and and I'm, i'm sure you've known me for quite some time now like you've probably seen is like 
I am always going to be open to change. I am always going to move forward in a, in a, in a growth minded direction in some way, shape or form. I may not make the best decisions all the time, but I'm not scared of making a decision and you will always see growth inside of something that I'm going to be attached to. Um, so that's something that I've, I've, I've looked at with grappling and stuff like that. I was like, Hey man, we're, we're going to fail forward. And when we find our rhythm, just like when I found my rhythm in the gym, this will be the same way. And then I'm not going to be the, cause I used to be the little fitness gym that everybody be like, Oh yeah, that's that little gym that's in that racquetball court. Now it's like, dude, you see what Cody's doing now? Like, and then there was different. even the point where we were like super competitive, the whole mm-hmm. school or the whole we were the meat gym. gym. Yeah. We were like, we'd go to local competitions or even, you know, local P and W competitions mm-hmm. and we'd like pretty much win or mm-hmm. dominate or get in the top three and sure. you know and then there was like that whole like okay now we have a competition class now mm-hmm. there's i felt like there was like a little bit of like segregation totally. between members of like oh these are people on this side of the gym are the ones that are rxing that's the scary, doing, that's yeah. scary side yeah and it, <clears throat> as a coach i would hear people be like i don't want to go over there that's where all the badasses are and like no they're just people that want to go har- harder mm-hmm. but there was the whole perceived like elitistness, elitism, elitum, elitum. I can't, I can't say. It. You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. And I think that can happen in jujitsu too. Sure. I definitely think if if someone were to come into an advanced class and the coach is very militant, you know, like yelling at people, driving us into the dirt, mm-hmm. you know, I think that can cause anyone that's not a meathead to be like. Ah, this might not be for yeah, me, man. It scares them off, right? Yeah. And and it's like if we're gonna again back to the ambassador thing, if we're gonna be ambassadors of jujitsu, like it's gotta be it's gotta be something that people are gonna wanna do and that people are gonna actually do. And I understand like there there's there's probably guys that listen to your show that either go to a gym that is maybe more competitive competition minded or um maybe a little bit more of like an abrasive environment and it could be successful. Um, but I guarantee that same gym likely has been about that same size for a period of time. Um, I guarantee that like the, the, the culture there isn't nearly as connected, you know, which are the things that matter to me. Like if I've got a bunch of people competing, but they're like, you know, people come here sometimes that are competition minded and they kind of spin out and they end up not staying here. And, and I, I view that as like, well, my culture doesn't fit them and that's great. Um, but it's because like, I want this to be a, an environment that is welcoming to people so that I can actually have the opportunity to reach people and to show them jiu-jitsu. And I don't get that opportunity if I kind of turn into the the elitist, like, more abrasive environment. And that's just my opinion. That's not right. Again, the same way there's no one way to do jiu-jitsu. I'm assuming there's probably no one way to do business. But what I have seen thus far in my ownership of, you know, two businesses and then coaching other people who have businesses, that tends to be more right than it is wrong, if that yeah. makes sense. So how do you, as a coach business owner, you know, how do you know if if it's time to switch something because it's not working or that you're not giving enough time to work itself out? Good question. I don't know if there's a right answer there. I think generally generally a few months for most things will show will show you its true colors, right? Or at least give you so I track data like like crazy. Like I have I keep data on people that come in the door versus people that stay, people that set appointments versus people that actually show up to those appointments. Average time a person spends with us, average attendance. Like I, t- I, I track all of these things. So when we insert a new, a change into something, I start watching my numbers a ton. I do it with fitness, right? So when I start to see a downward trend, not just a good month, a bad month, but when I see a downward trend across like two, th- so to answer your question, I don't know that there's one way, but I watch trends in my data and I just kind of see, 
what's going on with that data. And generally that helps me, rather than making an emotional decision about like a change in our curriculum or a change in our offering, whatever it may be, um, I rely more on like what are the numbers saying because like that tends to be more wrong than right. So, or more right than wrong. So um, to answer that question, I think there's probably no like specific time, but I operate in a, in a data and like a data and feel-based environment to give the best grasp on things that I can. How do you develop that feel? Because it's not like it's going to happen, you open the doors. Experience. And you know what I mean? Experience, right? I mean, I, I would say back when the gym was ran by other people, I didn't have that feel. Now I, I feel like I have a really good finger on the pulse of both sides of my business, right? And now I can, it's almost like you can, you know, sometimes when you're in an environment and you can feel like energy shift, across oh, like, yeah. days and weeks and stuff like that. Like I feel, I can feel that energy shift and it's kind of like, it's hard to explain like what it looks like. And again, I can see it in numbers, but like the feel is just, it's just something you can, it's just this gut feeling that you get. And I've always really tried to live on that gut, like that gut, like that when I get a gut feeling, making a decision off of that, rather than like being an emotionally charged to do something, the data has been something the past few years that I've kind of leaned on to, to help me navigate that gut feeling. Um, so I don't know if that's like the, the exact answer, just because I don't want to sit here and lie, like, oh, I, I, two weeks. I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I'll go off the field. I'll look at my numbers, and then I decide based off of that. But when I see a downward trend for the period of, few, of a few months, and it's not just like I had a bad month, it's like consistently down or consistently up, then I'll make a change based off of that. When, when did you start embracing like the humility of knowing that you, as a coach and as a business owner, you don't know everything? Because I know <laughs> when you first start, that could be a very hard, totally. you could be super egotistical, like this is my business. No one's going to tell me how to run it. No one's going to tell me how to coach. Like when did, when did you start like, shit, man, maybe I should start listening to other people. <laughs> I've had a healthy fear of failure. As in like, um, I actually heard Kevin Hart talk about this recently on the Joe Rogan podcast. He said he wakes up every day feeling like the life that he lives it's like he's going to be found out and, and it's going to be taken from him. I've always kind of operated there. Um, maybe I'd say about two years in, I started to feel like I could lose it all because then I started to have something that was worth losing. For the CrossFit side when you first started yeah, Seven yeah, Cities? Yeah. Um, Jiu-Jitsu, I instantly knew when the Jiu-Jitsu gym opened that I didn't, I didn't know enough. And it was just like one big experiment. For me and my setup, I was fortunate enough to where fitness made enough financially for me to make the big mistakes over here. Um, but yeah, I'd I'd say very very early on, like a year or two in, I was like, man, I don't know anything. Like, I think I think the the big thing too with like, and we've we've seen it through uh, fake coaches and and whatnot. I think jujitsu has the ability to show you right away. You know what I mean? Like, there's no there. You it's hard to fake it mm -hmm. when it when it comes to coaching jujitsu. Oh, yeah. As to where on the fitness side, you can use big words and like kind of. Read, read an Instagram story real quick and then come in and talk about something. And it's a lot easier to to make it seem like you know more than you do. So you got to practice the thing. You got to look like you've actually done the technique before. Right, because if you get in front of class and you're like, this is how we're going to do an arm bar, and then everyone's like, he didn't even do an arm bar. That was an omoplata. Like, <laughs> yeah, what are yeah. you talking right, about? Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's much easier to, to get, get found out, mm -hmm. you know? And that's one thing that I worry about, too, with the podcast is I'm like, oh, my God. When is there going to be the day where someone like they're like they f I found something on Travis is like this isn't he's not real but I'm his I deep Reddit thread <laughs> yeah I was like but I'm as I, I try to be as real as possible totally. you know what I mean and I think people gravitate towards that even as a coach if if you are a coach that puts yourself above everyone else and like you don't have that you know that that uh 
that attitude of like people can approach you or you know like back in the day in jujitsu you can't roll with black you can't ask a black belt to roll like they're mm-hmm. on a pedestal i do i just don't see how that is even possible it's got to be a, it's got to be a miserable existence because you feel like you always feel like you have to be on yeah and i think like so two things that come to mind when you said that number one the I, I, and I actually teach my sons this. Um, it's something I've, I've spoken with my oldest boy a lot about. Is the the first thing is that the person that tells the truth. I usually say, <clears throat> I usually say the man that tells the truth is the the man in the room that tells that is the most truthful is always going to be the most powerful. That's the first thing. Second thing is that when you always tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. So it's like when when I try to be like just authentic as I possibly can with people. Um, and I'm imperfect. There are times where I say something, I'm like, man, that wasn't right. Like, why'd yeah. you say that? Um, and I analyze that and I try to be better next time I'm in that situation. But um, with, with jujitsu, I try to be very like transparent with like, you know, I don't know the answer to that. Or like or lately, I won't even try to show a thing that I have not practiced or done myself because I just feel like it's like, I didn't just, I never want to look like, which is what I used to look like in the past. I would watch a video and I'd come show it that day. Now it's like, no, dude, I'm watching videos. I'm trying that crap before I come in. Like I've learned a couple different ways. I got drop backs to things that I can't, <laughs> like I had five different ways I could have went yesterday with class. Yeah. Cause it was just like, well, if this goes poorly, uh, like I worried about that, um, that roll through that we did for the armbar, I worried that people were going to get it and everybody started to get it. And I was like, good. Cause if not, I was going to work on like, well, hopping to an S mount pressure. And then if a person push over, what can you do? You can armbar from top. So like I already kind of had like which directions I would go based off of what they gave me. Um, but yeah, so like just being as truthful as you can all the time is a much safer place to be, especially with the podcast because you're out in the ether. People are there. Like, there's, this is going to be here forever. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Even if I delete it, someone's got it. Someone's, <laughs> somebody pirated that stuff for <laughs> sure. Yeah, dude, for yeah. sure. So as, as, as you're coaching in jujitsu and, um, I know as a coach in CrossFit, right? So we would see triage, right? Always work on the person that you see has the biggest issues and kind of touch the, the people that are more experienced just so they feel like they're noticed. Right. Mm-hmm. In jiu-jitsu, there could be times when the whole class is needs to be triaged. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? How, how do you approach that? Um, good question. So I think I actually try to, lately, in the past, I would just try to address it. All right, guys, seems like everybody's messing up here, and I'd bring us back, back in and kind of do the thing. Now, I try to, and this is... It's, it's interesting when I make curriculum now, like for my day or I make my plan, I come at it through the ecological lens mm. of like, if I had to make this into game base, what would it look right. like? So um, even yesterday, like, I don't, did I, I don't think I got to where I showed an entry, did I? Into, into, into S-Mount? No, 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 no. I didn't no, no, show no. an entry, right? Yeah. Which is where the progression is going, right? So I kind of begin with the end in mind and then I back out of that. So it's just like when we teach to clean, what do we teach first? The thing that people are going to mess up the most, which is the jump and catch. So mm-hmm. we go there first and we go through each position. Now I do that in jujitsu to where I think like, you know, we're going through armbar. We don't think we finished one armbar yesterday. Yeah. I just kind of set you guys in the position right before the finish. And then we worked on like control with the legs, control with the arms, different body movements based off of responses. Like that's kind of the lens that I went through. So in the past, I would do just kind of like a bulk triage of like what was the most gross fault inside of everybody making the mistake. Now, I just simply try to make my curriculum in a way to where when I come to the session that day, um, when I come to the session that day, I'm set up in a way to maybe negate some of those major faults happening already versus like, okay, guys, we're st- like yesterday. So yesterday when I taught class, we went through um, arm bars essentially from the top position, right? We started in a seated position, perpendicular to our partner, arm between our legs. We worked on good connection through our legs. And then we worked on um, different reactions based off of what your 
your opponent did against you, right? So that is a different lens versus like, okay, guys, today we're starting in mount. We're going to move to S mount into the arm bar. We've done eight steps now, and we're finishing the arm bar. Now everybody screws everything up. Yeah. So it's just I've kind of negated all of that in my preparation, but that's due to looking at it through the lens of like, well, if I was going to teach this ecological, what would I do? I'd start him in the arm bar and kind of back out of that, right? Um, so that's kind of the approach that I've taken recently, and I've actually found with that, because I've been doing that a lot, I'd say the past three, four months of me coaching, because um, part of that, Sean was doing it. Um, I found that that's actually eliminated a lot of the correction that has to happen because I, I had it, I didn't have to go through 20 steps to get to the, you know, the major faults. It's like, I just started with the most simple three steps or the, the most difficult three steps in the entire sequence. And I'm going to back out of that, which before, so the last day of this whole sequence or this whole like cycle, we're going to have a sequence all the way to all of our finishes. But how many times did you practice that armbar position yesterday? How many times did you practice the S mount switch? How many times did you practice the, the stacking position? Like it was just, we're getting those reps in. And now when I get to the entry, it's like, Oh dude, I know how to finish. I've done this for, two days already instead of doing uh again mount transmission s mount here's one arm bar mount transition s you know what i mean like by the time like you get there like there's just so many things that can go wrong it, again it'd be equivalent to teaching the clean right from the shin right off the jump versus starting from top down yeah and one i forgot who said it but there it was a uh ecological guy maybe it was kit dale um or so, someone else, I, I don't remember who it was, but they were talking about how, how they teach single legs, how they teach takedowns. They're like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw you in a single leg and you're going to fight having a single leg. And then I don't need to worry about you getting into an entry because you're going to be so confident that you can finish the single leg that you're going to, once you get there, you're good. Yeah. You're like, you don't, because I feel like, um, to your point, to, I think it's great to, do the submission as many times as possible uh, without finishing it, right? Because mm -hmm. that's going to cause a lot of wear and tear on totally. people. But I think it builds the confidence that when people get there, they're not like, oh, my God, I got an armbar. I need to grip and rip as mm -hmm. fast as possible and finish it. Like, it just makes a safer environment because we we have the repetitions. We have the reps there. Like, we're like, okay, I have an armbar. I remember now, like, just hold on to it. I'm not worried about not knowing how to finish yeah. it because I've I've done two weeks of finishing an armbar. You know, and then because I feel like the transition into an arm bar is a lot easier to get to than finishing the arm bar. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So how, how do you approach when you when you see new people and they're struggling with with certain aspects of jujitsu in their game? And you're like, OK, how, how can I make them feel more confident in mm -hmm. this, even though they're beginners and the only time you're going to really build confidence is doing it. But how do you kind of like start implementing it to where these people are going the right path to where they can be, they can grow faster, I guess you could say. I look at, so <clears throat> I look at number one, like what, where do I want to get them to? And then I back out and I say, well, what would be a win for them today? So perfect example is we have in our fundamental session, we have two teenage faces. And they're not, um, and, and then I can go into a whole rant with like kids, jujitsu and stuff like that too, but they're not what you would say, like super athletic, super like, they're not good with like spatial awareness and stuff right. like that, right? They just don't have that. Body awareness. They don't have that. Yeah. They don't have that command of their body yet. And they, how they do things versus, you know, maybe some of the adults in the session are different versus like we have a client who's a little bit older, a little bit shorter that just kind of just struggles with things. Right. So I always kind of revert to like, okay, where am I trying to get to today? And again, this, I, I would argue this goes with like the same way we talk about like games really matter and the way you do and the weather, whether those games are put together well or not can, can call for the success in that game or not, or in that environment or not. 
So curriculum is a big deal in the planning of that too because you can negate some of this stuff, like I said. But I think I look at like where, do, where am I trying to get in this session today? What is a win for them? Right, like based off of their current like setup, and I'm triaging. I'm looking at some of the gross faults, like you know, for the arm bar as an example. Like, are they, you know, are are they getting are they getting to a good finishing position with their knees pinned together and their big toes crossed, and they've got you know pressure on the face and on top of the chest? Like, are they there? Do they have the arm held properly? Like, I'll kind of look at at those things. And if they're really struggling, then I kind of just need to paint a picture in my head as a coach to where like, what would make them feel as if they are winning today? and be as close to the picture I'm trying to paint as possible, and then trying to get there. Or there's also this analogy of, you know, we're, we're, we're all, in, I said this yesterday when we were coaching class for the armbar with the advanced class, I said, if you're struggling, if you struggle with the roll through for the armbar, continue to practice the thing before. So I said those things to say, because when, when I'm coaching people, I imagine as if we're driving on a highway, right? And on that highway, each exit is another progression in the, the difficulty of things. And maybe I drop them off at this exit and continue with the group to this exit, but I can always circle back around and kind of check in on them. And they're still doing the, the main path. We're still following it. I'm getting them a win. In my mind, what is a win for them today and what makes them feel good about what they're doing? And then I continue forward dropping people off at exits. And I do it in fundamentals. I, do it in the, I did it in the advanced class yesterday, um, which is always encouraging because I never want to what I, here's what I, here's a, here's a fault of mine. In the past, if I looked around the gym and one group is just, one person in a group is just completely off, not getting it, I would try to correct it a couple times and then I would just let it go. They're just not going to get it. Now I look at it like, well, hey, well, what is a win for them in this environment today? And let's work on that instead. If it's something slightly different, different than everybody else, cool. Like I'm not going to tell certain people with, you know, really short legs to try to get into this perfect, perfect, uh, perfect triangle position with, oh boy, who's got a, you know, a, a freaking 60 foot wide shoulder base, right? Yeah. Like, well, so I'm going to give them something a little bit different. Maybe I give them another variation, whatever it may be, but I'm going to get them, I'm going to give them a win that day. And in my head, they're as close to that picture as I can get them. And then I always just got to remember as I, as I progress them forward, I got to keep putting touches on that photo or on that picture as I continue to go and just again, continuing to get them wins. Because my goal is to keep them coming, to keep them coming back and learning jujitsu. And if I make them feel like crap because they're not doing the move that day, they're never going to come back anyways. You know, maybe they find them. And again, if, if I go into the self-defense conversation, maybe that person's jujitsu that they would have learned later on could prevent them from being in some sort of altercation, whatever that may be. But I say all those things to say, what is a win for them? How can I get them? I have a picture in my head for that day. How can I get that person as close to that picture as possible and make them feel like they are succeeding and also like walk out of there not feeling like I failed them that day, which is something that keeps me up at night sometimes. So when, when it comes to um, coaching uh, or you as a coach, where did you feel that you had gained the most uh, change like what at what mm. point in your coaching your coaching whether it's jujitsu crossfit business or whatever where uh, or even coaching coaches right where did you feel was the biggest like aha moment where you're like shit I should probably start doing it more this way mm. um, hopefully this is an unconventional answer but um, a few years ago I read this book called principles not principles um, yeah I think it was principles I could be complete influence is what it was called. Mm. Um, but uh, Robert Caldini. Yeah, I got that book. Yeah, now. it's great, right? I mean, it's like a... I haven't read it yet. It's but like I'm, a honker textbook. After right? this one, I'm going to read it's it. It's a lot. It's yeah. a lot. But um, like understanding, because it, it teaches you like how to influence and like they, they call them um, compliance professionals, which is like a marketer basically. But 
I guess I didn't realize how much in like communication and in coaching and, and in day-to-day life, how much, like how much just understanding like psychology of people really mattered. And it's been very interesting because like ever since I read that book and then I, I went into another book called Persuasion and like how, and, and you see it in the world with like politics and stuff like that, like how people can be so manipulated and can be like talked into a thing. But it's just like when you really understand how people are influenced or how people are influenced and then like their like basic needs, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like mm-hmm. when you start to really understand those things, I feel like it like it helped me with people. It helped me to be a better coach. It really helps me to be a better salesman, right? Because that's an art. That's a skill in itself. But like um, I would say when I really embraced like the understanding of like how to influence behavior, um, that was like the biggest change for me. And again, those books were Influence and Persuasion. They're both by Robert Caldini. Um, When I read that book, I started to kind of see like be able to see through things that people would say to me. And I could see through the way that people would act and, and I could just see it everywhere. So, um, it was as if I had been like, what is it? Red pilled or blue pilled, yeah. whatever it may be. I feel like I was red pilled and I could just like see through things. So, um, that's probably the biggest thing for me coaching wise that like completely changed everything I do. And that was probably like three years ago. What, what other books would you recommend someone wanting to get better at coaching should read? Mm. Um, I think leadership books in general are always pretty good leader, leader who had no title. Leader, leader without a title is a really good one. That's um, Robin Sharma. That's a great book. Um, I'm trying to think, what else? Um, I think it's a book called Legacy. It's essentially a story about. I think it's Legacy, but it's a story about the New Zealand All Blacks, and they talk about like how one of one of their like slogans in the in the All Blacks is like "No dicks allowed." So basically, like like. It, it talks They're about, all males, though. Yeah, no. but, it, <laughs> right. but it just talks about, like, how they built culture in that yeah. rugby organization. And um, it goes back to, like, from, from the leadership down, how they've created a winning system based off of that. But I think, like, coaching-wise, like, you're a leader, right? Like, I, I, I got patches for our, our, our youth kids who helped the Minion session, and it says youth leader on it. Because, like, I want I want... I believe leaders make other leaders, right? So I want to create other leaders because I even thought about with our coaches, don't put coach on the back, put leader on the back. Because I think like when it comes to being a great coach, you gotta be a great leader. You have to, you have to create followable excellence. You have to be a person that does what they say they're gonna do when they're gonna do it for people. Um, you have to show up consistently for people. And I think that all kind of flows back into like the leadership bucket. So extreme ownership, literally any leadership book out there you can possibly think of is probably a good place to go as a coach because when you start to understand like you're not just a person facilitating a room, that you're actually leading them through an experience, an environment, an art, a, a fitness resume, whatever it is, like you are you are leading them through this thing. When you really embrace the leadership side of it, I think that can like level up 10x your, your dang coaching overnight if you read a book. One thing that I talk about a lot uh, when it comes to coaches and, uh, you know, a lot of times people think high-level competitor equals high-level coach and it couldn't be further from the truth. And Because yeah. I know you've, you've produced, you know, regional athletes in CrossFit and you've competed at a high level in pretty much everything that you do. And I'm sure it's not everyone that you trained under was a world champ. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So how, what, acc- not accolades, what do you look for in a coach to follow them? Because um, I know you have a lot of coaches in your personal life right now, mm, too. So. Too, many, too much into it. Um, I think sometimes coaches, what qualities that I look for for coaching, <clears throat> first and foremost, is I always use the terms like followable excellence. <clears throat> do they... Do they 
do they seem worthy of being followed? Is the first thing, right? Are because, they charlatan? <laughs> right. Are they, are they selling me some snake oil or whatever it may be? Like, I don't want, um, I have to believe that that person is who they say they are and they, they live a life. Cause when, when I hire coaches, they generally, they generally have created a level of success that I am searching for in some realm, jujitsu, business, fitness. Um, recently, like I've hired like, like Christian mentors, like, because they have, they have reached a level of success inside of a thing. They have achieved a level of excellence that I would like to achieve too. So I'm going to go and I'm going to get as close to that fire as I can. Cause I want some of that smoke. Right. So it's like, for me, when I'm looking to hire a coach, it's like, does that person have a level that I want? And then I'm going to go get as close to that person as I can, because I want to, I want to feed off of their greatness, not because I'm trying to mooch off of them or I'm trying to be a time vampire. I definitely don't want to be an asshole to where I ask people for things and don't implement, but I want to get next to a coach that has a level of excellence in a thing that I want. And I'm going to go learn everything that, that I can from that person. And you probably noticed from watching me over the years is I've got coaches, different coaches all the time. I'm always kind of moving on because it's like, I go, I learn everything I can from this person. And then I move to the next person and then I move to the next person. And I just, to me, success and creating a level of like growth in your life, like that, that is going to come on the other side of character traits and skill sets, right? So if a person has a character trait, I'm going to go learn that character trait. If a person has a skill set, I'm going to go learn that skill set. And I, and I pretty much just move from thing to thing. Same thing with books. If that, like, I don't just read books because I like to read books. I read books because I have a deficiency in a thing and I'm going to read a book in that, in that thing. Read, right now, I'm like really trying to dive into branding because I want mm. this to be a, a freaking brand that sticks, right? I'm reading a book called Primal Branding right now. I don't even know the, the author. I found it on Amazon. I heard a guy talk, on a podcast talk about it. But it's like, Wherever my deficiency is, I'm going to go get a coach. That coach has to have followable excellence in that thing. And then I'm going to stay with them until I feel like I learned everything I can from that person or until I get a feeling that maybe they are who they say they are and I kind of move on. One person you should, if you're looking at branding, you should look at Chris Doe. He's uh, mm -hmm. the future on YouTube. Okay. Um, he also runs a marketing branding company and he talks a lot about how to build your personal brand and how to charge clients and everything like that. And one thing he, he always gets in trouble about is like you shouldn't negotiate price with people. If they're negotiating price, they're not the customer you're looking for. Nope. You let them know that what it is, is, is this price. You yeah. know what I mean? And I'm sure that's something that you've probably dealt with, you know, that internal monologue of, am I charging too much? Like, what am I offering for mm -hmm. X amount of dollars a month? How do you, how do you not justify Cause you don't need to justify cause it's your business, but how, how, how do you go back and forth at, with that internal monologue of not feeling like you're overcharging someone or undercharging someone? Mm -hmm. Self-worth. Like you really got to feel a certain way about yourself, I think. And, and then like, so every year, like we're getting ready to set goals as a team this year, every year, I, I set goals for my personal life, right? I, I call it my, my map, if you would. Matter of fact, this Saturday with our Mighty Men's group, I don't know if you're planning to come to that or not, but like we're going to talk about like goals and setting goals for yourself because I think sometimes th there's a lot of conversation about goals, but it's usually like a person says they're going to do a thing and it's just kind of open-ended. And, you know, there's this thing for a while where you set smart goals and stuff like that, um, which, is, which is good if you follow it, but most people don't. So for me, it's like, okay, I want to forecast out a year from now and I look at my life in four categories, faith, family, fitness, and finance. And I say, hey, I'm going to forecast out 20 or, you know, 12 months from now. And I'm going to think big picture. And I'm going to tell lies about myself in each one of those categories, right? Then I'm going to reverse plan in 90-day increments. And I'm going to create 
again, actionable things that I can kind of do from there. And then I'm going to make those lies into truth, right? So I think when it comes to, so, so to get back to your question of like, how do I charge and, 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 and battle that internal dialogue is now something I've always struggled with, again, being authentic. Um, you know, I created an identity for myself this year. A lot of times people will say like, well, Travis, who are you? When you get interviewed on a podcast, who are you? Well, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu blue belt, and um, I'm a podcaster, whatever. That, that's your worldly identity, right? Versus I come through the lens of like a godly identity. So um, I'm a man of honor, certainty, and discipline, and then I'm a warrior for God. Like that's my identity statement when somebody asks me who I am, which it, Sometimes for people it's like too much, but it is what it is. <laughs> but that's what I believe about myself. But I spoke those over myself because they were lies initially. Because I'm, I'm, I was not super disciplined when I started saying that. I definitely wasn't certain. And I struggled with like gossiping and stuff like that. And I didn't honor people as well and as well as, well as I should have. Um, and again, that all ties back to what I said earlier in the podcast about like being a, a representative and an ambassador for Jesus, right? So for me... <clears throat> When it comes to the price conversation, and this is this is something that my team has had to get off of me, right? They had to like, because initially when I started upping prices, they're like, dude, why are you charging so much? We had a jujitsu client here who was like, man, I brought a friend to you and you told him what you charge now versus what you used to charge. Like, that's crazy. I'm like, no, it's not. Because I believe that's what we're worth, right? You'll pay six bucks for a coffee, but you want to pay XYZ for a price of jujitsu where yeah. I'm spending an hour with you instead of with my family. Do you see this, Jim? It's ma- it's huge, right? Yeah. So yeah. this ain't cheap. You know what I'm saying? So to to your question, I think you have to really believe that you are worth the thing you are. And if you're not yet, if that is a lie, right? Again, I mentioned I tell lies about myself and then I make them truth across 12 months. If you set a price point for yourself and then you say you're worth that and you know you're not, then that's a you problem, right? Yeah. That's that's a, like, you need to become the person that does that. So when somebody comes in here like, man, you guys charge a lot for jujitsu, I'm like, yeah, we're really good. Yeah. And, like, I mean that. And and now we we get people that travel through. I mean, I've got guys that hit up other gyms and they're like, man, like, they're not doing what we're doing. Yeah. At least not in the local area, right? And And people charge more than what I do for less. So, you know what I mean? So I'm going to charge a fair price for a a a level of value that I believe in my heart we are worth and the people that believe we're worth will stay and the people that don't, don't, you know? And so the internal dialogue doesn't happen anymore. It used to happen a lot. I'm like, man, is this really worth it? And I'll say, no, we're worth that. It's okay if you don't want to pay that. That's fine. You won't find anything better. And I mean that. So it's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at now to answer that question. How do you, how do you, how do you promote an environment to where, whether it's your coaches, the students, the athletes, anyone that's underneath this, these these four walls or eight walls and two roofs. Yeah. Uh, how how do you ensure that you're promoting an environment to where when people do hear the price, when they do you know search around and whatnot, that that they know the value is there? Because it's easy to say, well, that's how much we're worth. But mm-hmm. if someone walks in and they see a shit show and they're like you're out of your mind if you think that's mm-hmm. worth like how do you promote the environment to ensure that 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 follows through that lie that might have been told a while ago is now mm-hmm. a truth um and again like we try to be as perfect as we can um and we're not perfect all the time at this but i think it starts with like again back to leadership of like here's the here's the expectation i mean even when you were coaching like i wanted to look at your curriculum we would share and i'd give you feedback it was really good so usually it wasn't like i had to change anything you know but like I think sometimes it's like, and this is, I've been, I was weak as, as a leader in this situation before to where like, I would struggle with like calling people out on certain things. You probably remember when you were on the team before, I would struggle to say something yeah. to people. Now, 
And we'd always bring it up to you, like the your friends. You were like, Cody, yeah, you freaking yeah. got to say something. I know, or you got to speak up. So I'm so much better about it. I'm not perfect, but I'm much better at it about it now because of that reason. Because like we're not charging $9.99 per month to work out here. Like I recently heard uh, that there's a there's a gym local to here that like it doesn't even know who pays and who doesn't pay in their gym. You know, and it's a pretty successful gym, and people often compare me to them, and like, well, they only charge a hundred bucks. We'll go to there. They're not gonna know yeah. if you're there or not. You know, yeah. like, you know what I mean. So, I think for us, like, to to make sure that I leadership doing the things that I'm asking my team to do, being prepared, showing up, not like a bag of crap, like, you know, coming with a presence of mind, talking to people, getting to know them. Like, I think that comes from setting setting personal values for yourself and leading yourself in a certain way, but also injecting your personal values and who you are as a person into the business too. That's probably why this gym suffered so much on this side for so long before is because like I didn't give it the time that it needed um, versus like now, like I eat, sleep and breathe both sides. It's not like one side gets more than the other. They both get me probably more than, more than most people probably want more than my family definitely want sometimes. But like um, I think that standard starts with the person setting the setting. Like this is who we are. This is what we do here. This is the the level of, of presentation we're trying to do. When I was learning about like the Gracie stuff and how I wanted to kind of change the curriculum, I said like, hey, this is what we're gonna do. And I came to you guys and like, that's that's what we change. And then like back to the the influence, the marketing, the sales, and you gotta sell the people who are gonna do that. You gotta sell it on them. So I had to sit down with the jujitsu team two, three months ago and I said, this is what we're going. Here's why I got them really excited about it. And I was like this like hype man and I'm cheering and I'm all excited about it. And like now they're just, we're walking in step together. We're talking about things together. You know, like we're on the same page. We're, we're all, the team is excited about where we're going and they give me ideas. And then like, they, they also know that like, I don't shut their, shut down their ideas. So when I give them feedback, because I, I allow their feedback to come, they're more willing to hear my feedback now. If that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So for people that are like newer to jujitsu and, you know, say they just got promoted to blue or they're been blue belt or they're a white belt in there they're like i love jiu-jitsu got nipped by the bug i want to do this forever uh and they eventually want to transition into coaching what do you think they could do the best in order to promote that in, within themselves or enable to show their their academy their black belt their instructor whoever it is that mm -hmm. this person would be a good coach yeah um so you're, you're asking the question you're asking what i'm hearing you say is you for the white belt, the blue belt, who is not currently a coach that wants to become one, how do they make themselves appealing to the yeah. leadership? And if you guys are hearing stuff in the background, it's because the CrossFit's going on. on yeah, the other side. This is live. <laughs> they're coming at you. Well, we're, it's not live when you're listening to it. but um, It could be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we should do that next time. Um, yeah, so I think, like, if I was looking for a coach, number one, um, I always look at, like, likability. Like, you know, like if people hated you and they're like, oh, Travis is a real jerk, I would have never asked you to coach, right? But you're a likable dude. People enjoy you. You make people laugh. You make people feel comfortable. You're always super helpful when, like, new faces are on the mat. You're like, hey, I'll be partners with that person. Like, when I look for coaches, person, again, I don't ever want to say, like, what a person should do. I want to say what I've done. As a owner, as a leader of the jiu-jitsu side, I look for that. Are they likable? Right? Like, are, I don't want any butt heads on my, on my team, right? So are they good to their wife? Do they love their kids? If they've got like an estranged wife and like their kids hate them and like they're always here and they got a family, I'm like, I don't know. Like, coming in and smelling like alcohol, you cigarettes. Pr you're probably not going to be a good fit, you know? And you know what's beautiful about our environment? There are people here that were smoking and drinking and stuff like that before and they don't anymore. Yeah. Like, that's like, it's like, it's like pushed out of you because you're like, wow, they don't do that. I'm going to look stupid if I do that, you know? So, um, 
what I look for as an owner and as a leader, and I'm assuming that any other self-respecting gym owner that has a good cultured environment, they're probably looking most importantly, um, sure, no jujitsu, right? Or at least care about knowing more jujitsu, but more importantly, like, are you a good, likable person? So if like you want to be a coach and you suck as a person, you're always talking smack, like everybody hates you, like you're always hurting people, like you're never going to coach, at least not at my gym. Versus if like you're super likable, people enjoy your company, you know how to make people laugh, like you, you can feel the leadership energy on people sometimes. Like if you if you show and you put off that sort of energy into an environment, I think it'll kind of na- you'll naturally ascend into a coaching position, just because that's where I've seen everybody go in my environment, anyways. Yeah, because I definitely feel. I think an- another funny thing is, you know, you and I grew as coaches quite a bit in the CrossFit side. Like our level two together. Lived right? our level yeah, two man. together, you know, <laughs> and it was an eye opener going to that level two because yeah, we were like, you own a you own gyms mm-hmm. like. Like you guys can't explain a push press, you know, and I think, I think a lot of people, and especially in jujitsu, they say, you know, oh, I'm, I love jujitsu. I'm pretty good at jujitsu. I love CrossFit. I'm good at CrossFit. And then they're like, I want to become a coach. And then they start doing it. And they're like, this is freaking hard. It's really hard. It's really hard. Time management, knowing names, explaining techniques, you know what I mean? Understanding how to break it down in a level to where people can can digest it mm-hmm. you know and i think that's a big issue that we have in jujitsu is a lot of times there'll be a 15 step technique and the people are lost in the weeds bro they're like where is that you three two one clap it's we like were like it's like when we make content right like how hard is it to not make content for your colleagues yeah versus like your 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 average listener that probably listens to your show even like as a guy who makes content sometimes it's like i want to make stuff that's like higher level because i want my coach friends to read him like that that was good dude. yeah that was good nice job bro pat on the back versus like no nah, you know uh uh mrs jones who's 45 who's overweight like she probably needs to see that and more recently for me like my avatar tends to be like men right so like i need to make it to them instead of my colleagues but i think it's the same thing with like um when you're like coaching and stuff like that it's like you got to meet people who have no idea what you're talking about where they are maybe they don't want to know the 27 John 27 step John Donaher approach to an arm bar. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, which <laughs> guilty as charged guys. Like I've done it yeah. literally me, you know? So, you know, it is what it is, but yeah, I think just like understanding like, Hey man, like what good is all of your knowledge? If nobody freaking gets it. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, it's, you kind of got to like learn how to read a room too. Mm-hmm. I know there's been times when I was coaching CrossFit and you would look around and people are glass eyed and they're exhausted <laughs> yeah. from the warm ups yeah, and man. whatnot. And you're like, okay, I should probably keep yeah, moving on. Down. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. and I, that was one thing too that, uh, you know, you implemented a couple of years ago. It's like you would start shadowing, mm-hmm. p- people start shadowing or, which I think was great. And I think for jujitsu, that might be good too for new coaches mm-hmm. is to have, you know, a more experienced coach, yeah. like, like, Hey, uh, like one thing and Keegan talks about, and I keep forgetting to tell him, like, Hey, maybe you should say this, but he will say, turn your ulna up for like the ankle lock. I'm like, just say, go like hitchhike, like yeah. t- point your thumb up or whatever. Like it might be an easier. Blade your arm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Blade of your arm, like turn it up because I, I, we, we used to say it back in the day, like keep your core engaged. And you're like, what does that even mean? How is, how is the mother of four coming off the street that has no fitness ever and mm-hmm. wants to get healthier is going to understand keeping your core engaged. 
Hey, cough. You feel that? Yeah. Keep it like that. Yeah, yeah. You know Flex I mean? your stomach like yeah. you're trying to show abs. Yeah. You know what I mean? One cue I used to say instead of like kicking your hips back or shooting your butt back or whatever, I used to say stick your butt out like you're taking a booty picture on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. And people would laugh and they're like, that's good. I, yeah, you know, yeah. Or yeah. stick your butt out like you're trying to close the fridge. It. Yeah. They're thinking of every influencer that is Yeah, like, right. You yeah. know what I mean? And so how, how as a coach do you navigate cues and – uh, feedback into where you're not doing, you know, John Danaher is successful because he's John Danaher, mm. but no offense, Cody, you're not John Danaher. I don't you're have Cody enough Smith. autism, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how, do you, how, how do you know what is a a good cue and a bad cue when you're coaching? Um, I don't know if there's bad cues. I think there's good cue. There's, there's, there's better cues and there's not so good cues. Like, okay, so there is bad cues, but ultimately, like, I have not seen things that were like completely out to lunch. It's generally like, well, we could have said that a little bit better, right? Um, so ultimately, I think th there's macro, micro in coaching, right? So when you're showing technique, it's probably good to maybe be somewhere in between based off of who's in the room, right? More advanced people, it's probably okay to go more into the weeds with things, right? For us, we have such a diverse environment that like I try to kind of split the middle, right? I try to go somewhere in the middle of like the micro, macro stuff. But as far as like, when I'm in a macro environment, I will kind of go as deep as I need to to reach as many people as possible in that environment. And then as I go, meaning my macro, a bunch of people, micro, one to two people in a small group, right? When I'm, when I'm macro, I'll maybe go less deep. And then as I'm going around to other people and I'm making my rounds in between like technique and bringing people back together and stuff like that, that's when maybe based off of whoever I'm going with, or whoever I'm talking to, whoever I'm coaching, I'll go in as deep as that person probably needs and give them, I want to do as much as possible with the least amount possible. So do more with less is what yeah, I always kind of think. Yeah, dude. So I want to go and I want to get this person, give this person enough energy or enough explanation enough cueing to get them where they need to be and then stop there maybe the more advanced person i'm going to cue them a little bit more and go a little bit deeper with them yeah that's yeah. great so but hey we've been going for quite some time the other side's about to start actually working out and i don't want to get, get uh, copyrighted from the music that's going to no, be playing so. That. Yeah. <laughs> so if you give one piece of advice to a brand new white belt day one mm. what would it be mm. oh, that's a hard question travis um Best advice for a white belt is take your time. You're, you're not going to know anything. Jiu-jitsu is the only art you can't grow very fast in. Now you can create a level. You can get to a certain level. How do I explain that? I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to paint this picture in my head. You're likely not going to become a world champion in a year right? So be okay with that and be okay with making mistakes. Don't try to settle in on a style. Don't try to settle in on like trying to go and win every competition. Like look at it as this is a come into it with a long-term mindset of like, this is going to take longer than I expected and it's going to be harder than I expected. Perfect. Yeah. And if people want to follow you, where can they find you at? So you can check me out on Instagram. I'm uh, at Coach Cody Smith on Instagram. You can also check out our gyms. We have um, two fitness gyms. Um, it is at Virtuous Fitness WA and at Virtuous Fitness ID because we just opened our gym in Idaho. And then we have our grappling gym here at Virtuous Grappling. 
Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Cody, yeah. for coming on again, Appreciate man. This is a great conversation. No technical issues besides nah, the camera almost we dying. This it. is, is going to be a good day. You it's know what I'm saying? I was listening to Creed on the way. Can you take <laughs> me? Classic. Yeah. So thank you guys so much for thank listening and watching at home. Remember, go check out Cody. We have him a follow, like, describe, or subscribe, whatever, five stars, all that stuff. Yeah. And uh, remember, no L checks here. Peace.